Well, good morning, Bayshore. It is so good for us to be together. Let me just say, first of all, how much we miss seeing you guys in person. We think about you all the time. We're praying for you, and we just can't wait for that time in the future when we can all gather together, uh, back together in person. But we're so glad we can still connect and be together. And today is a really special day because today we're going to be taking communion together. Uh, I hope you've got your uh, communion elements ready. Uh, We're going to be taking communion together for the first time ever, as Joel mentioned earlier, for the, all of our campuses and all of the community in Ocean City, Georgetown, Laurel, Seaford, Berlin, wherever you live, we're going to be taking communion together today at the end of today's service. And because of that, I'm going to be teaching on communion today and talking about that a little bit. And uh, I want to read uh, one of the main passages, real short passage about where we get the communion story from. It's actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and especially in First Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 11. But here's what it says as Jesus instituted this great, uh, great uh, celebration thing that we do together. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 39. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Well, listen, what a great, great uh, uh, privilege we have to take communion together. Now, let me just make a confession to you about communion. First of all, I just want to confess to you that many, many years in my life, I really didn't understand the significance of communion. I grew up in a great church and a wonderful church, but most non-denominational churches, the type of church I grew up in, didn't have a great understanding of what communion was all about. And so, to be honest with you, I just sort of took communion, didn't think much about it, and we only did it just a, a very infrequently. But over the years, I've come to discover how important communion is. For me, you know, communion is sort of like, you know, it used to be sort of like, uh, you know, I just kind of did it and didn't think about it. One of the big things that's uh, come out of the uh, COVID-19 thing, you know, for me at least, is I'm learning to wash my hands better. I wash my hands, you know, really, really good now. And the uh, Center for Disease Control has a whole little website on how to wash your hands. And I used to just wash my hands, you know, like just kind of wash them real quick. And now I'm slowing down, you know, you're supposed to wet your hands first and then you're supposed to lather them up, lather them up for about, you know, uh, when you sing happy birthday twice and, uh, and finally, you, you know, rinse your hands. And so, you know, for me, communion is becoming more like that where I'm thinking about what I'm doing more. It's more, I'm more focused on it because it's a uh, sort of something very, very important. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about, you know, the importance of communion and why it should be important to us. So I'm going to give you a sort of a kind of an overview of what communion is about. I don't know what you've been doing, you know, while you've been kind of uh, quarantined in, but, you know, we've been doing all kinds of things at our house. We've been like cleaning out the uh, closets and organizing the drawers. You know, the kitchen drawer has got all the stuff in it. You know, it's everything everywhere. We've been kind of organizing that and every little part of our house, I just completely reorganized my bookshelves. So we got all this time on on our hands. And the other other day, I was watching YouTube, and I decided, I, I came across of how to learn about fractions in seven minutes. 
And I've been out of math for a while, so I think, hey, you know, I need to watch that. So I watched it, kind of did a review on how to do fractions. It's been kind of a while for me since I did that. Well, this message today is sort of like that. It's about communion in seven minutes. It's going to be a little longer than that, but we're going to give the basics of what communion is about. First of all, let me just say to you, why should communion be important to us? Now, here's the first reason why communion should be important to us. Communion should be important to us because it was Jesus who established the practice of communion. When you think about communion, a lot of times we think, well, it must have been the Pope or the Catholic Church or some institution or some you know, preacher or bishop somewhere that came up with communion. But when you look at the story of communion, it was, com- it was Jesus who started communion. So Jesus is the one who instituted communion. So Jesus felt that communion was a big idea, something very important. One of the last things he did before he left this earth, before he went to the cross and was resurrected for us, the last thing he did, the last teaching moment he had with his, his disciples was he taught them about communion and he served communion to them. So when you think about why should we make communion a big deal, why should it be important? Well, first of all, it came from Jesus himself. Look what it says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 23. And Paul is talking about communion. The book of 1 Corinthians was written about 55 A.D., just not too many years after Jesus was uh, crucified and raised from the dead. So already in the church, in the early church, there was this incredible practice of communion. And Paul is given a little bit of uh, instruction on how to do communion. And here's what he says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. So Paul said it was Jesus who started communion. It was his idea. So when you think about the importance of communion, remember it's important because Jesus thought it was a big idea, and anything that Jesus thinks is a big idea, a good idea, you and I should uh, think that way as well. We should look at it in those, in those terms. When I was in Bible college, I used to have this professor, guy, uh, professor named Dutch Coe. He was a really great uh, communicator, and uh, he happened to be a uh, Vietnam fighter pilot, and he got back from Vietnam and was a teacher in our Bible college. So he had all these incredible stories to tell. But I loved his, I loved his classes because he always taught with a pointer. He had this big, long, silver pointer when he would point at maps and so forth. And uh, whenever he was lecturing, if there was something important that was going to be on the test, he told us, whenever you see me lecturing, I take my pointer out and I put my white hanky on it and hold it up while I'm talking, then you need to make sure you pay attention because that's going to be on the test. So we always paid attention to that. Whenever he pulled out that, that, that uh, pointer and put the hanky on the end, we knew that was a big deal. When Jesus established communion, he basically put the pointer out, put the hanky on it, and said, this is really important. Communion is really important. Another thing you want to know about communion is this. Communion is for disciples only. It's just for people that have a relationship with Jesus, have a connection with Jesus. And here's what uh, it says in the text. If you look at the text, it says that, uh, it says that uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. 
he gave it to his disciples. Now, Jesus never served communion to the crowds of people that came to hear him. He didn't come uh, and serve communion to all those people coming for healing, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't serve communion to all of those people. Communion is sort of a, it's sort of a family event. It's a family event. He served it to his disciples. So communion is designed for people that have a relationship with Jesus, that know Jesus. So it's basically uh, designed to remind us of God's covenant with us, that God has given a covenant, a promise to us. It's a little bit like a wedding ring, and it's basically God's promise to us that he has established our standing with the Lord through the sacrifice of Jesus. So it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It's, so, it's basically for people that already have a relationship with Jesus, that know Jesus, that have a, a, a fellowship with the Lord. There was a time in their life when they put their faith in the Lord, and they're just disciples of Jesus. They're following Jesus. The word disciple in the Greek is the word mathetes, and it means to be a learner or a follower. So here's who communion is for primarily. Communion is for people that have decided to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, and they are learning and they're growing and they're following him. So that's who communion is for. Karen and I, uh, like many of you, probably belong to BJ's. Uh, BJ's is an incredible store, and uh, you can buy anything you ever need in BJ's. It's, a, it's the most incredible. You can buy your clothes there. You can buy your groceries there. You can buy your books there. You can buy your cleaning products. You can buy TVs there. I saw the other day I was in there. They have TVs now that are 85 inches, 85 inches, you know, and what a big TV. I was campaigning to get one. Karen said no, but anyhow, I've, I've still got it on my, my wish list there to get that TV. But you know, when you go to BJ's, when you go to BJ's, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how educated you are, doesn't matter, you know, whatever, you're, you know, you, you can have a million dollars in your pocket, but you've got to have that BJ's card First, you got to give them the BJ's card. I was buying some tires there a few weeks ago uh, for my truck and got a great deal, deal on tires there and had the money in my pocket, uh, got the tires, and they had to see that BJ's card first. You know, being a part of God's kingdom is sort of like having your BJ's card. It's, it's a membership card. You are involved. You're in the family. You have privileges. You get coupons. You get discounts because you're a part of BJ's. Now, here's the thing about BJ's. If you uh, become a uh, member of BJ's, it costs you $55 a year, $55 a year for your membership uh, to be an inner circle member. That means that you get the card and it means also that you get the benefit of those coupons and you can shop in there. But when you think about the kingdom of God, the difference between the kingdom of God and BJ's is that I have to pay my BJ's fee. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is paid for our membership. He is paid for our membership, and we are part of his kingdom, and he takes care of that for us. So here's the good news. The good news is, you know, and maybe the bad news, good news, if you want to look at it that way, the bad news is, is that communion is only for people, it's only for people that are members of God's kingdom, that are part of his family. They are disciples. Communion was always served in the New Testament to followers of Jesus only. That's the, maybe the bad news for some people, but the good news is it's very, very easy, very easy to become eligible to be a part of God's kingdom. And maybe you're listening today and you're hearing a message about communion. You're saying, 
pastor says it's just for people that know the Lord, so how does that apply to me? I'm not a Christian. Here's the great thing about becoming a Christian. It doesn't take six months. You don't have to go through a year of catechism. You don't go through, have to go through a, a, a great long class. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. All you have to do is to put your faith in Jesus today and say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to receive you and you can take communion today and you can be a part of God's kingdom. Karen and I were watching uh, the, uh, the news the other night, CBS News with Nora O'Donnell, and we were watching the news and all the stuff about what's going on in our country and, uh, and, and the commercial came up. And there was different commercials throughout the news segment. But a, one of the commercials came up was Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham was Samaritan's Purse. Now, I don't know if you know this right now. In uh, New York City, in Central Park, Samaritan's Purse has all kinds of hospital units set up. This wonderful Christian organization is serving and taking care of New York City. And people that, uh, they're, they're taking people uh, out of the hospitals that don't have coronavirus, and they're taking care of them. So New York City has the uh, capacity in their hospitals to serve people that have coronavirus. And uh, I, I was so thankful, and I was just so proud of, uh, of Billy Graham's organization and his son, Franklin Graham, being there in the middle of this crisis, serving and taking care of people. But the commercial during the uh, news segment, CBS news segment, 30-second uh, news uh, little commercial there, Franklin Graham basically gave in 30 seconds how to become a Christian's how to become a Christian. He said, we're standing with you in this crisis. And then he went on to basically show people how to pray the sinner's prayer and they could receive the Lord. And then after they received the Lord, prayed that prayer, they could call the number and they could receive the help that they needed. It's that simple to become a Christian. You can become a Christian just by putting your faith in Jesus. And it doesn't take six months. It doesn't take a year, but you can do it immediately. And here's how long it takes to become a Christian. That fast. That fast you can become a Christian, and you can put your faith in the Lord, and you can become a disciple of Jesus, so you can become eligible to take communion. I went to Israel a few years ago, and I was, uh, went with a pastor from uh, Los Angeles, a pastor named Jack Hayford, and uh, Pastor Jack, incredible teacher of the Word, and has a great, great church. Thousands of people in Los Angeles go to his church, and uh, Pastor Jack was talking to us about how when he has communion in his church, more people that Sunday receive the Lord than any other Sunday of the year when he does communion. So when he asks communion, he says what he does is he talks to the people about communion, and then he says that it's just for disciples, but he says if you want to become a disciple today to receive Jesus, it's so simple. You can invite Jesus in your heart to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And he says what I'm going to do is uh, before we serve communion, uh, we're going to have everybody bow their heads, and every, as everybody's bowing their heads, if you want to receive the Lord, as I look over this auditorium, you just look up at me and nod at me, and I know that you're inviting Jesus in your heart, and then they receive communion. So if you're not a Christian today, I hope that you uh, are a Christian by the end of this service, and you receive the Lord so you can take communion. So here's the thing about communion. First of all, communion is important 
Because Jesus established it. Jesus was the one who established it. Second of all, communion is just for disciples, for people that are following Jesus and have decided to follow Jesus, and it's very, very easy for a person to follow Jesus. Now let's talk a little bit about what communion is, the essence of what communion is. First of all, uh, communion involves bread. The Bible says that Jesus took bread on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread. Now, what's important about this bread is if you look at the context of the Bible, if you look at the story, and if you look at the whole story about uh, communion, what you'll discover is that communion bread in the, uh, in, in the Gospels was actually unleavened bread, a bread without yeast. Now, we know that because this was uh, the communion, the first communion was served during Passover. It was a Passover meal. And so Passover always had unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was always the type of bread. Now, when we say unleavened bread, what we're talking about here is bread without yeast, sort of flat bread like this. Now, it doesn't matter today if you don't have unleavened bread. That doesn't matter. Uh, you can have whatever type of bread you want to have as you serve communion. But it's important for you to remember the significance of the type of bread that Jesus served at that first communion. And the type of bread that Jesus served was unleavened bread. And we know in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 12 and then Deuteronomy 16, Leviticus 23, that during the Passover they served unleavened bread. And the reason they had unleavened bread during the Passover is because it was to remind them they had to leave Egypt quickly. They didn't have time to put yeast or leaven in their bread. But what happened with the idea of unleavened bread is in the New Testament, unleavened bread came to be associated uh, with not having sin in it. So basically, leaven became a type of sin. Leaven became a type of sin. So when Jesus took unleavened bread... He said, this bread is my, is, my, is my body given for you. He's saying, in my life, there is no sin. In my life, there is no sin. There was no sin in Jesus at all. He didn't commit any sin. There was no corruption, no wickedness, no evil in Jesus. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that leaven is a type of sin and is a type of depravity. And let me just read to you uh, this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a very important scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul has been talking about, in this passage, he's been talking about the, the immorality, the sin in the Corinthian church. And then he gives this little, uh, little verse about what leaven stands for. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with, old not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What does it call, what is unleavened bread uh, equivalent to in this verse? With malice. Now, the word malice there means badness. Badness depravity, evil. The next verse, wickedness, is the word pornea, from which we get the word porne, uh, pornographic from. So basically, uh, Jesus uh, is saying to the disciples, I give you this bread, this unleavened bread, which is my body, and there is no, there's no sin in me. Now, here's the thing about 
me as you're listening to me preach. Here, I can tell you that there's some leaven in me. I'm wanting to be more like Jesus all the time. I'm praying. I'm reading the word. Um, I'm growing in my faith and fellowship with other people. But I still have leaven in me, and I still have to confess my sins. You know, one of my favorite verses when I became a Christian was First Corinthians uh, or First John one nine, which I quoted all the time when I was a high schooler and I was trying to follow Jesus and I was an adolescent. It was so hard, uh, and, and so I used to confess confess my sins to the Lord. And uh, you know the word confess, by the way, the word confess means to agree with. So in order for a person to be forgiven, they can't quarrel with God. Oh, that's not a sin. That's not a sin. We've got to let God's word define what sin is. And when, when the word confess means I, to agree with. So when I would sin, I would agree with the Lord. Lord, I agree with you. That was wrong. I'm not defending that. I'm not in denial. I did that. That was wrong. And I confess my sin to the Lord. It says in 1 John 1, 9, listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful verse. You know, a great word in that verse is, here's, here's my, my new favorite word in that verse, is the word we. If we confess our sin. This was written by John the Apostle John, the guy that was closest to Jesus. He was the guy that had his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. He loved Jesus, you know, probably more than any of the other disciples. He loved Jesus. And he said, if we confess our sins. Evidently, John the Apostle had to confess his sin before the Lord. Here's the deal. When Jesus gave unleavened bread, he was signifying that there was no leaven in him. This is my body. There is no sin in me. There is no sin in me. And this was given for you. I remember when I was a, a kid growing up, I played baseball, uh, you know, in Little League. I wasn't any good at baseball. I was like the world's worst baseball player. And, uh, you know, I played peewee and then minor league and then major league. And when I got transferred up to major league, I was just, I was the worst baseball player. I just was, I was terrible. And this is no exaggeration. In my major league year, summer uh, league, uh, when I played major league for the first time, I was the youngest kid on the team. I literally struck out every time I went to the bat, I went to bat. And I came home real excited one night because uh, I hit a foul ball. You know, it's a really big deal. I hit a foul ball. I made contact with the ball. And the why, why I didn't do so good was, you know, it's always the kid in front of me that got hit with a ball. I mean, like I'm, I'm on deck and the guy in front of me, he gets hit with a ball and they drag him out and bury him in the field. I mean, it always scared me to death, you know. And uh, so I got in the batter's box and with trepidation and I struck out every time. And, you know, here's the thing about going to heaven. You want to think about this. In order to be right in right relationship with God, in order to go to heaven, you have to have a perfect batting record. You have to have a batting record of 1,000. That's a perfect batting record. You know, in Major League Baseball, if you uh, have a 300 batting average, that's really good. You can ask for more money. You can get a raise, you know, because that means you hit the ball three times out of 10. But in order to get to heaven, you've got to have a perfect batting average. So when you think about Jesus being without sin, he stepped into the batter's box. He stepped into the batter's box, and every time you fail, he hit a home run. Every time you failed, he hit a home run. The book of Hebrews says that he was without sin. He was without sin. And when Jesus said, this is my body, and he broke unleavened bread, he's communicating that everybody understood it in that room that he was communicating that he had no sin in him.
Now, let me just give you one little interesting thing about, uh, about uh, unleavened bread. In the Hebrew, it's called matzah bread. Matzah bread, that's the Hebrew word for unleavened, matzah. And uh, here's what the rabbis, the modern rabbi, rabbis require of matzah bread. Here's a picture of matzah bread. Now, this is so interesting. Matzah bread This is what all Jewish people use during Passover. And this is the type of bread sort of that Jesus used. And here's what the the rabbis uh, say, this is the kind of bread you must use. Now, look at the bread. It's got these brown spots, these burn spots. They call that bruises. Rabbis call that bruises. The bread must have bruises on it. The other thing that the matzah bread must have is stripes. You can see if you look closely, there are stripes in this matzah bread. And the last thing it must have, it must be, it must have, be perforated, it must have holes and it must be pierced. Now, the Jewish people are completely blind to the significance of this. But what is the significance of it? Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, he was bruised, he was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes, there are stripes, by his stripes we were healed. And then Zechariah says that Jesus would be pierced. And Jesus was pierced on the cross. So when you think about the significance of the bread, it's unleavened bread, perfect bread, but it's bread also that has all these features in it as well. The Bible says that Jesus broke the bread. He broke the bread. Now, that's an addition to the Passover. That was never a part of the Passover feast. Breaking the bread was never something that was a part of the Passover feast. It was, it was uh, this was something new that Jesus added. And what this signified, of course, was that Jesus' body, he said, this is my body, broken for you. That meant that in just a few hours from that moment, Jesus' body would be ripped with the scourge of nine tails, the, the whip of the Romans. Uh, his, his, his skin on his forehead would be ripped from the crown of thorns. His body would be broken. Back in 2004, when the Mel Gibson movie came out, The Passover, uh, The Passion of Christ, um, we, we rented the theater in Midway, and we had hundreds of people from Bayshore that went. And I remember sitting in that movie in 2004, watching that incredible movie, and it's hard to watch. I've only watched it maybe once since then. It's so hard to watch. And you see the scourging of Jesus. And why that's so hard to watch is because we're used to seeing violence in our culture. We see it all the time in all the movies we watch. But that's the first movie you ever see where there's an innocent man that's being whipped and he's completely innocent and he's not defending himself at all. So it was so hard to watch that. And Jesus' body was broken. We got done watching that movie in 2004. Hundreds of people from Bayshore. Everybody walked out of the theater. Nobody said anything. Everybody walked to their car. We were completely uh, filled with, with gratitude. And we were somber because of what Jesus did for us. When Jesus ripped the bread and broke the bread, it was signifying what was about to happen to him. And he was going to be broken for our sins. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. Then he said... He said, take this, this cup, this cup, which is uh, my blood. And he's very explicit. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you. And I have given my blood for the ransom and the redemption of many. So the Lord has given us the capacity in communion to remember that he's forgiven us of our sins that he's cleansed us of our sins. See, here's the problem that we have in modern culture. We think, and, and people that, 
maybe criticize Christians because uh, they see inconsistencies in Christians. If you're not a Christian today and you're watching this, I just want to confirm all your fears. All your fears are, hey, the Christians aren't perfect. I'm here, here to tell you, Christians are not perfect. They're growing in their faith. They're becoming more like Jesus. But you will see con- inconsistencies in any Christian if you're around them long enough. The difference between you and a person that's following Jesus is a person that's following Jesus in humility recognizes that they need to be forgiven of their sins. And they take this cup. This cup is a reminder that the blood of Jesus has been shed for them so all their sins can be forgiven. Here's what you need to remember. You need to remember that Christ came not for our best moment. Christ did not come for our best moment. Christ came for our worst moment. He didn't come for us when we were at the top of our game. He came for us when we were not living the way we should live. And I recently had my, uh, uh, had to get a new passport, and I had a passport picture taken. Have you, have you ever had a passport t- picture taken or your license picture taken? Have you ever noticed that's the worst picture? That's the worst picture that you possess. I mean, sometimes you get a, like a, a high-end photographer to take a portrait of you and your family. It's all doctored up. You look really good. You look wonderful. And you, know, that, you know, that's what we all want to look like. But, you know, you look at your passport picture. I decided this time I'm going to look as good as I can. And, uh, and so I went to the post office. They had me stand on the line. Before I knew it, they took my picture. And it looked worse than my last passport picture. It's just awful. It's an awful, awful picture. Irma Bombeck said that if you are like what your passport looks like, you're too sick to travel. So I always think that's funny. Uh, but anyhow, Christ came for our worst moment. And the blood that he shed for us is signified by the, the juice. In those days, they used probably diluted wine. This is uh, Welch's grape juice. And when I partake of this today, in just a few minutes as we all do this, do this together, I'm being reminded that I've been forgiven of all my sins. I've been forgiven of all my sins. Here's what we struggle with. You know, we struggle with the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I grew up in uh, church, and all, a lot of us grew up in churches where we heard the pastors say that, hey, listen, you know, make sure you examine yourself before you partake of this. Make sure that you're, uh, you know, everything's okay, and don't drink of it unworthily because, you know, God can kill you if you don't drink of it in the right way. And uh, we've all heard that. That's part of our traditions but, you know, when you read 1 Corinthians 11, you know, if you, there's a verse in the Bible you can't understand. Always read 10 verses above it and read the 10 verses before it to help you understand. And so in that text, really what it's talking about, it's talking about people that have division and they have attitudes and they have, uh, uh, they have schisms with other people. And maybe they have ongoing sin in their life that they're not thinking of or not repenting of. But a lot of that passage, most of that passage has to do with me having, someone having a bad attitude, a broken relationship. And basically, before you take communion, it's a good time to do an inventory where you say, Lord, is there anybody in my heart that I hate? Is there anybody in my heart that I'm angry with? Is there anybody in my heart that I haven't forgiven? Because I'm about ready to take of the communion, which represents the blood and body of Jesus that signifies my forgiveness. And if I've been forgiven, I need to forgive other people. The other thing is, is if you have, uh, if you have a sin in your life, something that you're doing, that you, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of, and maybe you're going to struggle with that for a while, but you come today and repent and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, and I turn to you, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow you. And you repent of that. 
and you take communion, let the Lord's grace cover you. Nobody is worthy of communion. Nobody's worthy of communion. There's nobody worthy of communion. But we come to the Lord in communion to receive His grace, to be reminded of His forgiveness. I heard about a, a, a pastor uh, in uh, Scotland, uh, a guy named uh, John uh, Duncan. John Duncan, he was old Scottish pastor, and he used to have all the people come forward to the altar, different groups in the church to take communion. They couldn't all come at one time, so this group would come and that group would come. And one group came, and they were kneeling at the altar, and he was passing the cup, and the cup was going around. And it came to a woman. Then when she got the cup, she looked at it, and she felt so unworthy. She felt so unworthy, and she let the cup pass by her. And it went to the end. And then when it got to the end, uh, John Duncan Bishop John Duncan went and got that cup. He brought it back to that woman, and he said, Take it. Take it. It's for sinners. It's for sinners. And communion is for all of us because we're all sinners, and we need God's grace, and we need God's forgiveness, and we need His mercy. And I'm here to tell you that all over this community, people that are listening right now, people that are in Georgetown, people that are in Millsboro, people that are in, that are in Rehoboth and Lewis, people that are in Berlin and Ocean City, as we begin to take communion, we're all sinners. We're all sinners that are, have decided to follow Jesus. And we're being reminded today that Jesus has come and we are secure in Him. We're not, we're not insecure in Him because we have this covenant. He made a covenant with us. He made a promise with us. He said, I am with you. I'll never leave you. Even in your imperfections, I'm reminding you that my grace is sufficient for you. So as we receive communion in just a bit, we're going to be so grateful as we celebrate the wonderful communion that is ours. And I remember the great story that Keith Miller told. Keith Miller wrote a book a number of years ago called New Wine. And in the book, he told about a priest that was having these visions of Jesus. And this priest uh, went to his bishop and was telling him about this mysterious experience where he was having visions of Jesus. And the bishop thought he was nuts. And the bishop said to him, if Jesus ever appears to you again, you ask him this question. What was the bishop's sin before he became a bishop? A few weeks later, the priest was in that bishop's office and the bishop saw him and was a little taken back and the priest went into the bishop's office and the bishop was a little nervous and he said did the lord appear to you again and the priest said yes i'm having these visions of jesus and jesus appeared to me again and the bishop said did did you ask him what i told you to ask him and the priest said yes and then the bishop swallowed hard and he said what did he say and the priest said that jesus said I don't remember. I don't remember. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah and the book of Psalms that he will remember our sins no more. So today as we take communion, we're being forgiven of all the sins. We're being, receiving God's grace in a fresh and supernatural way. Now right now, maybe you're in your living room. Maybe you're in your kitchen. Uh, maybe you're sitting at your desk. Maybe you're on the back deck. Right now, uh, I want you to take the bread. And if your family's gathered around, uh, if you're a single mom, you can tear the bread and give it to your children that are old enough to understand what's going on. Uh, if you're a father, you can serve it to your family. 
If you're there by yourself, you're not really by yourself because you're being joined right now with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over this community that are receiving communion. The bread, the bread represents Jesus completely without sin. Unleavened, no yeast. He was sinless, tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He stood in your batter's box and he had a home run. I want you to take of this bread. Let's take it together all over this community. Father God, we thank you for this bread, which represents the perfect life of Jesus. We partake of this bread together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This blood, this cup represents the blood of Jesus. It's a promise. It's a covenant. God cannot lie. He's made a covenant with you. He's made a covenant to be your righteousness, to be consistent when you are inconsistent. So, Lord God, we confess our sins. John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All over this community, let's take this right now and let's celebrate the forgiveness of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer together, wherever you are, in your living room, wherever you are, let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you for how much you love us. Life is so good. Life is so good because you're with us. We can be full of faith and not fear because you've taken care of our biggest problem. Our biggest problem was always our separation from you. So our biggest problem, our greatest difficulty has been solved by you. So Lord, we partake, have partaken of this bread and wine, which represents your blood and your body. And we are secure in you. We thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. Say with me out loud now, Lord God. Thank you for your absolute forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We'll see you on Easter Sunday.